Frank Network. Content on this production is for entertainment and informational purposes only. It is not medical advice, nor is it intended to substitute medical treatment or diagnosis. Seek medical help if you believe that you are suffering from a mental illness or are a threat to yourself or others. By using any or all of the information provided, you do so at your own risk. Any application of the material is at the listener's discretion and is his or her sole responsibility. Everybody, Doc Brian here, and welcome to Doc Talks, where we traditionally talk about people's troubles, trials, tribulations, and hopefully their triumphs in life. But today we're going to kind of flip the script just a little bit because uh, I have a good friend with me today, all the way down in sunny Florida, Jesse Lyon from Lyon Mental Health. Hey, Jesse, how in the world are you? Hey, Brian, it's pretty good. Uh, probably a lot warmer in the world down here than it is up there. And I'm not going to complain about it. What, what is your temperature there today? Let's see. Let me let me get an accurate, accurate reading for you. Currently at uh, two o'clock in the afternoon on a Monday, it's 77 degrees and sunny. I'm looking here. My phone is thinking about what the temperature should be. Uh, currently, it is 70 degrees in North Little Rock. Oh, okay. So we're but not it, we're not that far off. Yeah. It was supposed to it's supposed to get to a high of 76 today. So we'll see. So Jesse and I met on TikTok and um I just I, I fell in love with you as a individual, not necessarily with with what your content is, because uh, you're a very uh likable guy. You're very authentic in the content that you produce. However, <laughs> with that being said, <laughs> Jesse is a hypnotherapist, and I really did not know how I felt about hypnotherapy. And so <clears throat> at the very beginning, Jesse and I had a Zoom call, and we just kind of discussed what it was, where it come from, and and all of that kind of stuff. So today, for the benefit of our listeners, we're going to rehash that conversation uh, about how uh, hypnotherapy works. Now, I think it's important to note the difference between comedic hypnosis and hypnotherapy. Yeah, absolutely. I I feel like I fight that stigma, that misunderstanding all the time. That's why I was so open to having the conversation because I, you know, I get flack from both sides all over. And so I'm pretty used to that conversation. There is quite a difference between the clinical application of hypnosis and hypnotherapy, uh, which is incredibly divergent from the stage magic Las Vegas smoke and mirrors experience of a hypnosis show. They do use similar principles. And so there, there is some, you know, it's appropriate for them to use the same name, but it's not appropriate for them to be seen as similar because one is specifically for a show, almost using the audience as props in order to create a spectacle as opposed to therapy, which is I'm trying to help someone process through something and develop motivation, heal through trauma. Uh, totally, totally different. There's a lot of onstage, you know, obvious manipulation for fun. You know, it's benevolent, it's benign, but in the therapy session, I'm, I'm not manipulating anything. There's no, you're going to do this. You're going to do that. Uh, it's, it's a very collaborative experience. And actually when I took my training to become certified as a hypnotherapist in the state of Florida, because there are requirements in order to call yourself that. The course that I took, they actually called it 
uh, hypnotherapy training in advanced empathy, hmm. which I love sort of that way of describing it. Cause I do think it is that it's a way of empathizing and connecting with someone's unconscious mind, the way that through conversation, we connect with the conscious mind. Right. Yeah. I, I love that. I love that too, which, you know, I'm a borderline empath as it is. So I do know that <laughs> very kind, caring guy, and, Dr. And, Brian Shepard. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think, but, but to your point there, uh, you talked about a manipulation of, of what's going on. I, I remember I was, I wasn't, I was visiting this college, I guess, uh, and they had a hip, hypnotist there. And I remember they called like 30 people out of the audience and lined them up. And then they gave one command and then the hypnotist let 20 of them go back to their seats after the first round. And I'm, that was enough for me to know that there's something fishy going on here. There's an awful lot of selecting going on in this process. Yeah. When, when they do that, uh, there's a term for that. Uh, they, are looking, they are looking for what's called a somnambulist. Now, a somnambulist is somebody who, you know, as a hypnotherapist, I'm sort of uh, identifying someone's suggestibility type. And there's physically suggestible and emotionally suggestible. Somebody who is 50-50, like, like right down the middle, they're called a somnambulist. And they're actually the most suggestible, which is not a bad thing. A lot of people think that's a bad thing. Oh, you can be manipulated. No, no, no. They actually tend to be the most creative. They're able to understand things very quickly because they possess both traits but they are the easiest to hypnotize because they're able to live in a, an imaginary reality, a reality that is projected. So when they're doing that on stage, they're looking for the somnambulists in the audience because they're going to give the best show. So in, in your practice, though, do you find that, that people that come to you, obviously they're already open to the idea of hyp hypnotherapy, but do you have some that, that come in and you just know that this isn't going to work? And if so, how do you kind of weed through that? Yeah. Uh, sometimes you'd be surprised. Sometimes people come in and they're like, hypnotherapy is stupid. This is bunk. And so they're like, prove me wrong. Cross their arms, sit on my couch. I'm like, oh. But here's $150 for you to try. Well, you know, uh, I do need to pay my rent. So thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. Uh, and I'm here to empathize and care for you. So, you know, first, I try and understand, like everybody has, if there's any emotional sort of volatility inside somebody that they feel a certain way about hypnosis, I, I got to empathize with that because that probably comes from some pain, some fear, whatever. And so I want to respect that, right? To answer your question, there are some individuals who certain types of hypnosis work best for. The type that I'm kind of thinking of and that most people think of is called formal trance. Formal trance is kind of what you see on stage. And so there are some people that that works wonders for. There's a lot of other people who maybe are more resistant, maybe are more cognitive, intellectual, uh, maybe a little more reserved. Even sometimes, I mean, I am a licensed mental health counselor. So like sometimes those with personality disorders, they are more stereotypically resistant. And so there's different techniques in order to access and engage with them uh, that I wouldn't necessarily use the, the cliche formal trance with. But that being said, I use a very broad understanding of what hypnosis is, it's just communication with the unconscious. And I have 
a so many tools. There are so many tools to engage and communicate with the unconscious. I don't just have to use that formal trance in order to do it. So hypnosis, hypnotherapy is possible with everyone. And I recommend it for everyone, but the tools in which to do it are going to be different for everyone. And, and I think that it's fair to say that sometimes we become hypnotized by things that we don't even realize. Oh, absolutely. TikTok being one of my favorite <laughs> examples. <laughs> well, I, I remember when I would travel a lot, I would get, and truckers get this an actual thing called white line syndrome of where you look at the white line and you just are become entranced with everything that's going on around you. And, and, uh, you either drive off in a ditch or you wake up and are like, well, where did that last 40 miles go? Exactly. Uh, I liked one thing that you said, uh, in the description of the coursework that you did, that was advanced empathy to the subconscious. Is that how you said that? Yeah. Uh, the course that I took, they called it training and advanced empathy. Okay. So I, I found a lot, even, even on my TikTok back in the day <laughs> that, there was a very, very misunderstood conception about the unconscious as opposed to the subconscious within the conscious. So uh, from an expert hypnotherapist here, can you kind of explain to us the difference between the three? Oh, man, I, I might actually not be the best person to ask because my... <laughs> My use of those terms is is pretty interchangeable. It changed a little bit from Freud to Jung and then to other psychoanalysts, psychodynamic therapists and hypnotherapists. You know, Freud used his terminology and then it kind of developed. You know, I think that the original thought was that there's the conscious and then the unconscious, making them very split. I, I do also like the terminology of subconscious because it kind of explains that it's not this difference between the two of them. It's just below consciousness. And so instead of being so devoid from one another, it kind of relates them back together, which is kind of cool. But I mean, I kind of use them interchangeably. And I think a lot of people do as well. Uh, the way that I describe it, of course, consciousness is our conscious decisions, what we do, you know, not involuntarily what we do. And then our unconscious is where our brain makes decisions for us. And, you know, things just happen that... I'm not going to say that we can't control, but things that do happen then our subconscious in, in my thought process is what tells my heart to keep beating and what tells me to keep breathing and that. So I kind of explain it in, in that, that uh, manner. Okay. At least that's, well, that would make, that would make sense then. Yeah. Kind of the, kind of the difference yeah. in the way that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. But, I, but I'm going to guess you lean more towards Freud here as to, and you're smiling. I do love my boy Freud. Yeah, Freud. Freud gets a lot of a lot of garbage, but I think he's very misunderstood. Uh, I think he's he's a bit of a product of his time. I think we were all misunderstood as children, but <laughs> I, I agree. I do love Freud. I, I love Jung, and the type of therapy that we teach is uh, Jungian hypnotherapy um, and Ericksonian hypnotherapy. So special place in my heart for Jung, but I do I do kind of scoop my boy Freud up from the gutter and be like, Hey, 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 he's got some stuff to offer too, especially cause I do a lot of dream interpretation and he worked heavily on that. Mm -hmm. But I mean, he, he smoked enough. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I mean, he smoked enough to be able to hear his dreams. I mean, uh, yeah, you, know. he, you can say he was committed to the science. He, <laughs> he was definitely committed to the science. Absolutely. So what kind of um, I know here in here in North Little Rock, there's a hypnotherapist, but she specializes in addictions like smoking and drinking and and weight loss and that sort of thing. But I think if I understand correctly, you're more within the mental health aspect of of trying to help people through certain issues, not 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 so much on on the basis of like substance abuse. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I do substance abuse too, but you're absolutely right. You know, I I'm kind of in the unique position and a lot of those a lot of those students that we train at our school uh, are also in the unique position where they are dual licensed as mental health counselors, marriage and family therapists, clinical social workers, but also as hypnotherapists. So it allows them to use that tool in their clinical counseling work. So yeah, I I actually specialize in working with uh, schizophrenia and disassociative identity disorder, which has been renamed from multiple personality disorder. I do a lot of that work and the name of our school is trauma-focused hypnotherapy. So the school was originally founded because of the lack of material and really teaching on using hypnosis for trauma work, which it has some incredible potentials for working with trauma. I have kind of wondered which which you're familiar with EMDR mm-hmm. uh, for PTSD. I've I've often wondered if the EMDR beginning of those studies and hypnosis were kind of on the same level of thought in that we could. I'm going to use the word manipulate, but that's that's probably not the best word, but that we could manipulate that trauma to process and pack it into a different place. Would is that does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it certainly does. I I like the word integrate, right? You know, to okay. to work with something to incorporate it back into the story because when when we have trauma, oftentimes it becomes this special little bubble that sort of lives outside of just what we feel like we're capable of processing. And so the process of hypnotherapy and EMDR is to reincorporate that into a functional story. They are similar. I talk a lot of crap about EMDR. <laughs> so if anyone wants to uh, wants to let me know and fight me about it, totally open to that. I love some good, hearty conversation, uh, sharpening of ideas. But EMDR, in in my experience, in my opinion, and it is an opinion, it is a manualized and shortened, condensed version of what hypnotherapy is. Yeah, and and that's what I was trying to get to there. Of course, for our listeners, I don't want to you know throw out terms that you and I know what it is, but EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, that's the one. You know, I suffer from PTSD and I have considered EMDR, but much like hypnotherapy, I'm going, I just don't know that that would work for me. I don't know. It may it may be because of my, my personality is more of a harmonious, let's keep everybody together and happy as opposed to, okay, this is trauma and I've got to do something with this to get processed. However, interestingly enough, uh, the state of Arkansas has a response team uh, that responds to any tragedy that has involved law enforcement, uh, any first responders, and they have two people that are certified EMDR, and that is the first thing they do when they get there. And it's been successful 
in, in some ways, but I don't know. It, it It's just kind of one of those things that brings me to the point of the thing that I said to you when we very first met was that hypnotherapy is not going to work if you don't want it to work. I agree. And your response to me was, do you remember what your response to me was? I, I don't know. What did I say? Your response to me was that traditional therapy won't work if you don't want it to work either. Oh, what a clever response. <laughs> Yeah. Way and, to go past Jesse. It's and, not, and I not went, bad, buddy. I went, you know what? As bad as I hate to admit it, he's right. <laughs> because, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I have counseled, not canceled, counseled younger people that, you know, they may be 18, 19 years old, but they still live with their parents and their parents are making them come to counseling and they're sitting there with their earbuds in and their arms crossed and they're not into it, you know, and they don't care anything about what you have to say. And so it, it just becomes very difficult. And, and that's one of the reasons why when it comes to adolescent counseling or guidance or anything like that, I'm not the guy that, that you want to <laughs> see. I know that you have, have said that you you have some people that, you know, come in, cross their arms, say, hypnotize me. Mm -hmm. But how do you work through that if if you have that kind of patient or client, I guess I should say, that just comes in and doesn't want to be there? Mm. Gosh, well, let me let me like work through the whole thing. So, you know, first I just want to say uh, I I do talk a lot of a lot of crap about EMDR, but it's an incredible therapy, right? It I'm not arguing with its studied and documented effectiveness. I just think that there is a more uh, diverse and robust tool, hypnosis, which actually can incorporate EMDR techniques. I think it's a it's a broader sort of application of communicating and working with the unconscious, which is where we know trauma works. So, you know, when you have that client who is resistant, you know, even a teenager who maybe has trauma and is resistant you know, that's why I love that we kind of understand hypnotherapy as this advanced empathy, because until I can establish a connection with an individual, whether it's talk therapy, EMDR, hypnosis, CBT, whatever, if there's no empathy, if there's no connection with this individual, then no progress is going to happen. I mean, the vast majority of studies have shown that the largest change agent in a therapeutic relationship is the relationship. It's not actually what modality they use. And so that's where I think hypnotherapy for me has been so just revolutionary because it understands that and it teaches the techniques in order to help create a relationship, help create trust and process through these things, which is something that I think uh, can be missing in a lot of other situations. Right. And and the key word that you said there was trust. Yes. And, you know, when somebody has, has been through such a trauma, it, it's hard for them to trust anybody. Of course. And they should struggle to trust people. I mean, after something like that, I mean, that's pretty significant and it would make sense that you want to test relationships now. And so if I'm trying to push somebody through or, you know, not being empathetic to that lack of trust, if you want to call it a lack of trust, then am I really meeting them where they're at? Am I really doing a good job as a therapist? You know, they're, they're down. They don't trust people because they've been through some stuff. I need to respect that because that's developed for a reason to keep them safe. And so an, I work with a lot of teens actually, and I love that work because I get it right? Like I'm an angsty teen myself. I mean, you see the way that I dress and the way that I act like, yeah, I, I understand. And so 
I'm not going to try and push anything until I've earned that. And I think that's where hypnotherapy helps because they talk a lot about presence. You know, they talk a lot about the way that you're observing body language, the way that you're communicating with body language. It takes into account so many other variables that I think the cognitive stuff does not. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're more of the Instagram model and I'm more of the Mr. Rogers and, you know, uh, it's kind of where your clientele kind of has to feel comfortable and we're not, we're not going to talk religion, but, but I'm just going to make a statement in that as a pastor, a lot of people don't understand when I say, I really don't think I can help you with this issue. And it's not because of religious anything. It's because I'm not going to fit with their personality. We as uh, as people who offer counseling and guidance can pick up on that fairly quickly. Yeah. And so, you know, while they're looking for somebody to trust, that can be a difficult issue too. As I've had some people say to me that their therapist just flat out said, we're not a match and I'm not going to help you anymore. And I'm going, how could they have like, really, that's not. But it happens. Yeah. Yeah. I I get that. I think I think the struggle for me is like ultimately that should be up to the client to to choose. I mean, I think I think the therapist should be honest and talk about their hesitations. But ultimately, as the therapist, like I've taken on this job with the understanding and the responsibility that it's my work to prepare myself and to allow myself to be changed in such a way that I can be useful to them right? I need to enter into their world, not expect them to enter into mine. So the frustration for me is like, that's just such a rejection of empathy. Empathy being meeting someone where they're at when a therapist says, I can't work with you. I would hope, you know, I would hope a client, you know, looks at me and is like, well, yeah, look at, look at you. Like, I don't, I don't think we're going to be a good fit. Totally respect that. I love that they're taking that initiative in that direction with their life, but I don't think that should really be my job to say that to them, to reject them. Yeah. I don't know. Breaks my heart a little bit. When I first moved to Little Rock, I started looking for a new therapist and I went to one who was highly recommended and I had like three sessions and he said, Brian, I want to help you and I feel like I can help you, but I feel like if you went to see this doctor they would be better suited to help you based on their training and experience. However, if you want me to continue to help you, I'm more than happy to do that, which I was like, that is the only way to do that. You know, that is, that is. That's great. Yeah. And so it wasn't, you know, I'm left out on the street. I'm, I'm left with a, a referral from, from one mental health uh, practitioner to another. And that just, that, sealed the deal with my trust with him was that he really was concerned about my well-being and not just, you know, trying to get a check. Unfortunately, there are therapists out there that probably not in private practice because that's a whole different animal that work in, in these organizations that really are just there for a check. Yeah. And we as, uh, we as consumers have to be aware of that. And it's okay. And I'm going to ask you to speak to this. I'm always of the opinion that your therapist is working for you. You're not working for them. And so while it is consumer-based, they're still working for you. So it's perfectly okay for you to be completely honest and blunt or forward with your therapist about how you feel. 
Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I work for the client, not the client work for me. You know, there's there's this inherent uh, disparity in the authority in a session. Of course, there's a professional and then there's the client. So I, I recognize that, you know, there's this, there's this difference in the room uh, and the power differential that needs to be respected. And that's why we have so many laws surrounding you know, the therapeutic relationship and the way that it can work, no dual relationships, stuff like that, which is much needed. But ultimately, I always encourage my clients, I, I work for you. And so if something's not working, tell me, like, I, you don't got to worry about hurting my feelings. I need to worry about your feelings, not the other way around. This, the only way for this to work is if you give zero cares for my feelings and just get out what you need to get out. I mean, don't be mean to me, like malicious. Like I get that, but yeah, don't, don't stress over me. Let's work through this together. Right. So walk me through kind of what would happen. I'm a new client, uh, to hypnotherapy. What could I expect? There's kind of two situations that I'll walk through. You know, there's, I do work hypnotherapy wise throughout, you know, the, the U S and around the world. That's offered as a coaching sort of thing. And I'm able to do that because uh, I'm certified as a hypnotherapist. Now, so if somebody, say, in Arkansas wanted hypnotherapy, they could reach out to you. Absolutely. And do that under coaching. Mm -hmm. Or any of our network of therapists that we've got, you know, we've got a directory of therapists that we, we've put together for anybody who wants to try out even a single session or just to talk to somebody and get some more answers from a certified hypnotherapist. So that can be anybody. And we'll put a link in the in the description here, but just real quick, what is the website for them to find that? So that would be the school that we teach, traumafocusedhypnotherapy.com. Okay. That's where you can find the directory of hypnotherapists that have been certified by us and that do some really incredible work and we stand behind them. Or you can just contact Line Mental Health on Instagram yeah. or yeah, send me a DM, you know, and I'll, I'll get you connected to walk you through the whole thing. Carrier pigeon or however y'all do it down in Florida. Sure. <laughs> G- Gator mail. <laughs> Gator mail. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So I'm a client wanting hypnotherapy from you. Let's say with uh, disassociative identity disorder, what am I looking at here? What am I expecting here? So, so the difference would be if you are in Florida where I am licensed as a counselor, we can absolutely work together. I can be the medical provider because I'm licensed in the state and I can be your hypnotherapist. It will be a tool that I will choose whether we should move forward using that tool or not. If you're outside the state, uh, I'm not licensed in any other states as a counselor. So what we would have to do is get a referral from the doctor, the treating physician, your counselor, your psychiatrist, whoever, if they feel comfortable about it getting that referral, then we're okay working on, you know, on increasing motivation and stuff like that. But the way that it's set up, because we want to make sure that licensed professionals in the state are the ones treating those things. A hypnotherapist can't treat mental health conditions outside of the state they're licensed in. So if you just have like a regular hypnotherapist, that's not dual credentialed, like I am, they can only work on vocational and avocational things. So maybe you're struggling with motivation in school, you want to quit smoking, you want to lose some weight, you're not uh, jumping as high as you want in basketball. We can work on all those things, right? But if it's like depression, anxiety, DID, we're going to have to work closely with your counselor and the hypnotherapist will be under that counselor's supervision. They'll be looking to them for direction on the medical stuff. 
I think that kind of makes sense, right? Okay, so so if I had DID, I could see you as an, a counselor in the state. If I was a resident of Florida, yeah, then we're good to go. I could see you as a as a counselor, and then the hypnotherapy would just be one of the tools in your in your tool belt to to Precisely. use. Okay, yeah. So uh, let's consider. Okay, I'm not a resident of Florida, so I want to contact you for hypnotherapy in in a coaching manner. Mm-hmm. I guess I just need, I would have to ask in that regard, what is the most common use of hypnotherapy in, in the coaching manner that you see personally? Oh, usually it's motivation, you know, not interested in my job anymore. Can't, can't find the drive to get my homework done. It's usually stuff like that. Procrastination, motivation. That's the number one thing. I do a lot of work with addiction type stuff too, like quitting smoking, stopping drinking, things like that. Uh, Those are probably top two things that people kind of seek it out for. Okay. So you probably don't know this, but I'm the chiefest of procrastinators. Ah, we could work with that. And my <laughs> senior, my senior quote actually was in the yearbook. If it wasn't for the last minute, nothing would ever get done. <laughs> mm, that tells me an awful lot about Dr. Brian Shepard. <laughs> <laughs> it it should, that. it should. So let's say, okay, I'm a procrastinator here. What is your game plan? What is, how would you react to that in a, in a hypnotherapy coaching manner? Man, so, so many things depends on so much. You know, if somebody were to just send me an email saying, Hey, I struggle with procrastination in school, would like to get better. You know, send you an email back, get some more information from you, maybe schedule just like a quick consult for free. Then sign the coaching form. We'd have our first session. We'd, we'd probably meet online because you'd be out of state. And so what we would do is we would kind of want to identify sort of the way that that individual works, their suggestibility type, emotional, physical, or somnambulist. And then we would just get introduced to the process of formal trance, of what hypnosis feels like. And as we do that, we would start to explore and almost reprogram the way that the mind is thinking about these things, because that's really the problem. School is not the problem. You're not the problem. School is great. It gets you where you need to go. You're a person who's living their life. That's great. What the problem is, there's this unconscious association with the school that's causing you to feel some emotion, to react to it in a certain way that's no longer functional for you. And so we need to rework, suggest a new way to interact with that process. That's what hypnotherapy basically is. Okay, so what would happen in this coaching aspect if you get the vibe that it really isn't necessarily a subconscious issue as much as it may be depression or ADHD or ADD? Where's your game plan from there? Well, it's always connected with the subconscious, but... I'm glad that you said that. (laughs) It's always connected with the subconscious. Everything is. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, only only our two frontal lobes are the things that make any decisions. All the rest is unconscious from that little piece all the way back through your skull. That's why and memories, the amygdala, all part of the unconscious processing. Anyway, I could go on and on. So, but if we identify, okay, wait, 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 this is a depression thing or, oh, whoa, 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 this is a trauma thing. Then I'd be like, hey, you know, I, I'm still going to work with you. Like I'm here for you to support you and care for you. But this is outside of the scope of my practice. I want to do right by you and make sure that you get connected with a counselor because in order for us to be successful, you're going to need to be under the care of somebody in your state who can be there with you. We're still going to work on this and it's going to get better, but 
we need to make sure that we have the right team for success here. And that's going to mean that I need to include someone else in on this treatment as well. This may be a really bad comparison, but okay. I'm really good at really bad comparisons. I'm ready for it. <laughs> but it's almost like hiring a personal trainer who you work with, maybe like Peloton, where you are working with somebody and that the person decides that you're following their plan, you're eating right, but you're still not losing weight. You have a, might have a thyroid issue. Mm. That personal trainer can't help you without with that because it is outside the scope of what they do. Right. So they would refer you then to your family physician who may then send you to an endocrinologist. So it makes sense. I just, uh, for the, for the benefit of our listeners, I, I just want to make it very clear that there is a definite line that isn't crossed when it comes, uh, to a mental health condition as opposed to a therapeutic hypnotherapy uh, coaching type session. Right. And that's to keep the client safe. That's for safety. I mean, it's the same thing. Like you said, you know, if Peloton or whatever, you know, are you sponsored by Peloton? Can I we wish. Get them as a sponsor? I, I wish. If they're listening. If they're listening, they Brian can Shepherd. sponsor me. Uh, and then if they have any money left, they can sponsor Jesse. <laughs> Thanks. That'd be great. <laughs> but but even your personal trainer will refer you to your general practice doctor. And then if you like, if the general practice doctor found a lump that was weird, they're not going to operate or diagnose that as cancer on that lump. They're going to send you a cancer specialist. Same thing. You know, that would be outside the scope of their practice for them to do like an invasive, you know, cancer surgery treatment thing. They're going to give you to a specialist, right? So if I identify that this motivation problem is probably something mental health related, I'm going to refer you to a specialist, a counselor, marriage and family, something like that, because that's just going to do right by you. I think that within the stigma of mental health, there's a lot of this idea that everything's compressed together and that it's all one thing. And, and, and it's not. I mean, I could have PTSD and go see someone for psychotherapy or talk therapy, but also have DID and see a counselor like you that specializes in hypnotherapy, the insurance probably isn't going to pay for that dual treatment, but it certainly would be effective in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, since I'm a licensed mental health counselor in Florida, it, my hypnotherapy stuff is covered by insurance because I'm practicing as a counselor. Outside the state of Florida, it's not. So there is that to be aware of too. Yeah. But insurance is a whole other topic for a whole oh, other day. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm actually a Medicaid provider, so oh, in the sorry. state of Florida, it's a uh, who boy. What I do you get? You, like twenty five dollars a session? Yeah, you know they they send me a, a a little baggie with some nickels and dimes in it <laughs> every two weeks. It's pretty nice of them. I take it to the gumball machine and really have a nice Saturday. Or do you get like uh, hundred and seventy <laughs> checks a month for four dollars and six dollars and more like that? Yeah. No, it's, it, you know, it, it does. All right. It's, um, it's not what you make in private practice, but you know, one of my, one of my passions, you know, my heart is to help those who need the help. And so if somebody's underprivileged, you know, or maybe doesn't have the access to a private practice, mental health counselor, like I, I still want them to get uh, really high quality mental health care. And so that's why, even though it is a nightmare, kind of a headache, uh, I still do it because, you know, I want to see people helped. That's, that's why I did this, not to make money, even though I would like to pay my bills too. Without violating any type of confidentiality or HIPAA or anything like that, could you tell us about 
a client that you are like the most proud of or you felt like had the most success in general terms in use of hypnotherapy? Oh, man. Yeah, actually, one one comes to my mind uh, really quick. I've, I've had a few situations like this. So, yeah, obviously not violating any privacy, but um, I'll kind of make an amalgamation of, uh, of clients here together. Don't say words you can't spell. Yeah, no, I, I can't, I can't spell. I'm illiterate doc. <laughs> I had this situation where somebody wanted to quit an addictive behavior. Right. And so we were able to, through the first session of hypnotherapy, we were able to pair that addictive behavior with the actual, like the negative parts of that addiction, you know, because so many times when we're addicted to something, we only recognize the, the nice things about it. And we forget all the things like if you're drinking, for example, um, you're thinking about the good times, the parties and stuff, but you're not thinking about like losing your job, hangover, loss of relationships, not people not being able to trust you. You're not thinking about those things. And so what we're able to do is we're able to pair the connection between that addictive substance and the negative effects. And in one session, them being addicted for the past 20 years, they've been free from that addiction for the past year. Wow. That was incredible to me. I was like, it kind of, kind of blew me up. Oh, wait a minute. It worked that good. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay. I mean, you know, you're going to need some continued care. Like it's not, it's not a fix everything, but I'm like one session. Wow. We really paired it good. Didn't we? Mm-hmm. Oh, all right. You're like, I shouldn't do such a good job because I'm going to lose income. <laughs> I should have, should have had a couple more sessions. Yeah. But Hey, I mean, my, my job is to make people better. So one session, I mean, that's, that's great. So is, is one of the biggest keys to compare it to the negative outcome? You know, it's it's so so much more dynamic than that. Uh, the key, I would say, a, b- a better way to put it would be to change the way that we understand things. You know, my job as a hypnotherapist is to change the way that the brain is connecting with stuff. So if that's an addictive thing, like maybe we we connect it with the negative experiences, the negative stuff that you really don't want in your life anymore. So that way we can kick it. If it's trauma, you know, maybe we change the way that your brain is understanding and connecting with that trauma so you can live more functionally. It's rewiring our unconscious experience. So what would you say, uh, and you and I have, have talked about a particular matter, and I won't, I won't say what that matter is, but that where I said, I think that this could be an addiction. Do you remember what I'm talking about? And you said, I don't know. No, I don't. <laughs> Boy, you really pay a whole lot of attention to me. Okay, I'll just say it. I'll just I'll just say it. Pornography. Type, type it in the chat. Yeah. Type it in the chat. Pornography. Oh, oh love it. So, <laughs> love it. Um, love it. Where? And it, <laughs> Great and it, topic. And it came from this um, uh, this person on TikTok who was. Uh, I remember them. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so this person We're not going to be able to get through this with a straight face anymore now. <laughs> we talked about pornography. <laughs> well, well, this person said that it is impossible to be addicted to pornography because pornography is not tangible. It's not giving you, you know, like we're smoking, you get the sensation or drinking, you're taking, which to me, that is not relevant. But as to where, okay, so I would see pornography could be an addiction, okay? Mm-hmm. When you are watching pornography on your lunch break or your breaks at work, and it obviously that's probably not the best time to be doing that sort of thing. 
but when it starts, uh, well, with anything, any type of addiction, whatever it may be, when it starts to interfere with your normal everyday life yeah. in a negative aspect, then I consider that to then become an addiction in a certain way when it's when then you don't have control over it. You have to do it. The impulse is always there. That's where I relate addiction to. So in talking with you, it, me just making the blanket statement of, yeah, I believe pornography is an addiction. And you said, well, I don't necessarily know that I agree with that just as a mm. blanket statement. Not, right, right. You know. Um, I think that's what I was talking about is the right. blanket statement probably. Yeah. Right. So what would happen if somebody came to you and they were dealing with something like pornography and you didn't really feel like it was an addiction? Well, you know, it's kind of the same I would relate it to the same type of thing where somebody comes in, they say, I have OCD or I have uh, depression. They're like, well, okay, let's look, let's look at the book. I pull out the big purple book, DSM five. And I'm like, bah, 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 bah. technically you have three out of five, not five out of five for depression. So is it depression? Well, technically not, but I get what you're saying. Right. I get, I get it. Right. Mm -hmm. OCD. Do you have OCD? Well, technically no, but I can see how that's problematic for you in your life. So oftentimes, you know, it's, it's that advanced empathy thing, right? Like I get it. I get what you're trying to say. I'm, I'm going to meet you where you're at. I'm going to probably clarify and do, you know, put on my professor cap, do a little psychoeducation and say, Hey, technically it's not diagnosable, but yeah, yeah. There's, there's some similarities there. And so same kind of thing with, with pornography, like, Pornography, just because it exists, doesn't mean it's an addiction. But if you are using pornography in a way that becomes dependent, uh, that can that's a problem. Well, I'll say this. I had a, a young man come to me, and his addiction wasn't with pornography, but was with masturbation. And I'm talking like, really, how many times a week? And he was like, oh, we're talking 15 to 20 times a day. And I'm going, how is that even possible, let alone, and, and I can't tell you the matter of work that he does, but it was one of those things where he was doing it where you wouldn't imagine somebody doing that there, you know? Yep. I'm going, I don't know that I can help you with that because the only problem that you see with it is the frequency and not any type of immorality or anything of that nature. And so I referred him to somebody else who could help him. And he didn't want to go to somebody else. He wanted me, which then I was like, don't curious, know. Curious don't. why he wanted you. Yeah. I have some inclination. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So, but I, I, I get in those things where, you know, even as a pastoral counselor, there are things that I don't necessarily, where the church would say, okay, this is wrong, where I don't necessarily think that's wrong. Yeah. You know, that once again, we're not going to talk religion, but I, I'm a big person of personal conviction. What may be wrong for me doesn't mean that it's wrong for you. And and I think that we have to keep that mindset too, even within, in in our counseling that, that may not be a problem, but once again, if they're coming to you and they feel it's a problem, then it's a problem. Yeah. That at least needs to be talked about in in a way that is healthy for that individual to really be able to open their eyes and look at the bigger picture of what's going on. 
Right. And for me, that's usually going, going deeper. You know, it's, if somebody comes in and says, this is a problem, I'll be like, well, now wait a minute. Like, let's really think about this. Is this actually the problem or is it deeper than that? And most of the time, like, you know, masturbation is not a problem. Like masturbation is great. Enjoy your body. Like that's wonderful. If that's the way that you appreciate yourself. But if you're using masturbation to do these other things that you should probably be doing in a different way, that can be problematic. For example, I knew an individual who would use masturbation in order to help with feelings of depression. Well, you should probably focus on your depression. It's not, the problem is not that you're masturbating too much. The problem is depression. And so I agree with the person like, hey, there's a problem here. Totally agree. I just am not quite sure if I'm on the same page or am convinced yet that it is what you say it is. Because let me tell you, Brian, everybody comes in with that. Not masturbation, but everybody comes in saying that I was like, wait problem- a second, what? <laughs> I have a very is, specific is kind this, of practice. Is man. this uh, something that is, you know, isolated to Florida? Because <laughs> Florida, man. Yeah. Goes to therapy for masturbation. <laughs> is that is that listed on your business card as one of your specialty areas? Yeah, yeah. Bold, bold letters, right? Right there, you know, center, center frame. Yeah. I think we all do that though. You know, I, geez, in my therapy, I went and talked to my therapist. I'm like, you know, therapist, this is the problem. And they're like, well wait a minute, Mr. Jesse, I see what you're saying, but let's go a little further with this. Let's, let's understand it more. So I think what you're describing is, is a normal and healthy part of therapy, defining the problem and getting some real clarity about what's actually going on and figuring out, okay, well, where are we, where are we trying to work here? Is it the masturbation or is it something a little bit more inside the unconscious, not so conscious. Right. Because most of the time what we see as our problem is actually a symptom and not the issue. You nailed it. Yeah. Yep. So how many times have you ever had to say to your client, is this really an issue for you or is this an issue that your wife said that you had or that your parents said that you have or that your husband said that you have? I think I have that conversation with every single client in some way or another whether it's them being harsh and judgmental on themselves, whether it's a a spouse being harsh and judgmental, whether it's a family member or, you know, a toxic organization that's being harsh on them. Uh, I think I do. I'm, I'm really struggling to think of any example in my mind where I do not have that conversation because clarity and awareness of the actual problem is step number one in my book for progress. Okay. So kind of wrapping this up here, I'm just going to ask you, what is the weirdest thing that you've ever treated as a as a symptom <laughs> or within coaching without revealing too much information? Absolutely. Uh, I do. I've had a lot of things that I think other people would think are weird. And so, you know, when I think about the weirdest thing that I've had in coaching, I kind of struggle with that because what I is don't the think weirdest thing you weird, think right? that I would find to be weird? Right, right. So, I mean, I, I'm down with whatever. Like, tell me about your life. Everyone's got to live their life different. But as far as like, what would make Doc Brian go, huh? <laughs> Let me think. I've I've had some individuals, more than one, who were uh, trans species, which was kind of unique to me. And and that's where they different than like a furry. Yeah. No, it wasn't. It wasn't just you know, dressing up fetishized, they, they believe they were of a different, um, species. Any specific one that you can name? There was some cat was, was a popular one. Yeah. I like that. So one. this even is like beyond like pup play. Yeah, no, this is, this is, I am a cat. Okay. 
Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a pretty good one. Yeah. <laughs> I've had, uh, working with DID, I've had some amazing interactions with individuals. Um, just the way that the mind can work. Uh, there's something about dissociative identity disorder. They, they are incredibly intelligent. And I've had some individuals who can literally look at a textbook page, like the big ones, the full eight and a half by 11 type textbook page left and right, memorize the whole thing just like that, close the book and recite every word on that page. That blew me away. So I think more than anything, probably the situations that astound me are the ones where I'm like, what an incredible individual. So could you hypnotize, could you hypnotize me to be able to do that? No, I think you and I are too stupid. <laughs> I don't I don't think we could do it. <laughs> You're only the fifth person that's called me stupid today, but I appreciate that friend. Hey, well, it was with empathy. We are stupid, Brian. Yeah, well, yeah. Someone else can decide who's, yeah. who's stupider out of the two of us. But... Did you, you said stupider, so it, obviously <laughs> the award goes to you. Thank um, you. <laughs> My mom always said I was first. <laughs> Love well, you, mom. Yeah, shameless plug there. Love you, mom. Uh, <laughs> Love you, mom. <laughs> well, Jesse, I appreciate you uh, being on Doc Talks today. And as I said, this is uh, really the very first episode that we've done like this. So uh, we appreciate you. So tell our tell our listeners where they can find you. Oh man, thank you for sticking around to this part of uh, the episode on Doc Talks. Uh, appreciate it. You can find more information about me uh, on pretty much any social media platform at this point. Uh, Lion Mental Health, but it's like my last name, L Y O N Mental Health. TikTok is kind of my big platform right now. I'm putting out content on YouTube and Instagram as well. But if you really want to get a hold of me, TikTok's kind of the way to go. But if you want to check out all the stuff, the projects that I'm working on, We've got courses that we teach. You know, we've got an e-learning platform that we're working on. All of that kind of fun goodies and like free downloadable things that can help you with your dreams or hypnosis. Lionmentalhealth.com. It's kind of the conglomeration of everything. L-Y-O-N mentalhealth.com. Or, or if you want to get in direct contact with him for the right price, I will give you his cell phone number. Oh, well, I think I think it's listed on the website anyway. I'll, 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 I'll split it with you. Uh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah. Of course, you can find me at thedocbrian.com. There's a social media link at the bottom of my website that you can find. Uh, and feel free to, to contact me there through our website. Uh, we thank you for being with us today on Doc Talks. And uh, make sure to follow us, subscribe, like, comment, whatever it is that you do. Um, on whatever streaming platform you're listening to us today. Also, check us out on Patreon where we have Doc Talks DX, and you can check us out over there and all of our stuff and exclusive content on Patreon. Jesse, once again, thank you for being here with me today. I love you. You're you're a great guy. I just, I, I, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I really do appreciate you. Thanks, Doc. That warms my heart. Love you too, man. Just the way that you help people around you and your heart. I mean, I, I agree with that statement you said. I think you are an empath and you care deeply for those around you. So it's a pleasure to be here today and to meet with you. I love it, man. All right. Of course, Doc Talks is a part of the Be Frank Network. Check out all of our podcasts there at BeFrankNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening and have a good day. <laughs>